have. So uh, yeah, it, it really is uh, an interesting book. There's so many different things that are that are brought out uh, in the book of Job, and I gleaned a lot of different uh, facts and things that uh, that we find in this book, and. Uh, I have a number of commentaries. Uh, one of the ones I've always found interesting is Henry Morris. And uh, he writes a scientific um, commentary. It's called a scientific devotional commentary on the book of Revelation and on the book of uh, Genesis. So, so the book ends of the Bible. Uh, if you ever come across any Henry Morris's uh, stuff, and he does a little, he does a short little book on Job called The Remarkable Record of Job and a number of things that he shares there. But it's placed, um, categorically, it's put within the hist- or the, excuse me, the poetry books or the wisdom books of the Bible, uh, along with Psalms, Proverbs, Song of Solomon, uh, Ecclesiastes. It's written during the patriarchal period. Uh, more than likely, he is a contemporary uh, of Abraham maybe a little before Abraham. Uh, Some commentators think that maybe between Abraham and and Moses. Uh, It's considered the oldest book of the Bible, uh, since Moses would later pen out, uh, you know, Genesis through Deuteronomy. Uh, There's no mention in Job of Abraham. There's no mention of Moses. There's no mention of Israel. There's no mention of the Ten Commandments, none of these things. So it's a very early book. It's patriarchal period, uh, which means that each, each person was the priesthood of the believer. And so the head of the home could make a sacrificial offering to the Lord, like we see Abraham doing that. Uh, we see Job doing that, too, as, we, as he opens up this particular book. Now, his age, uh, as it opens, he has ten children. So arbitrarily, I'm going to put that maybe about 60 years old because he has not only 10 children, they're adult children, okay? Uh, At this point, he's kind of an empty nester. Uh, And this is before his trial. After his trial, he lives 140 years. So again, arbitrarily, we're just going to put it his age at around 200 years. Uh, And so that, again, would make it post-flood, um, if it was pre-flood, you know, the pre-flood, uh, the antediluvian period, um, we find they're living, you know, five, six, seven, eight, nine hundred years. Uh, so uh, at this, like we find, you know, we find Abraham uh, in his, you know, his age. And so uh, it's right around that particular period here. And uh, his home, he lives in, in Uz, which would be, which was biblically uh, the Edom. He's not an Edomite. Okay, because that would be later uh, Esau's dis- dis- uh, descendants and so forth. But at the particular time, it's very well populated. It's fertile. Uh, he is a leading, respected citizen, you know, of his of his town and of his nation there. And he's called, referred to as the greatest man of the East. And that isn't just something that somebody cooked up. God said that. <laughs> uh, the Lord said that about him. And so. Uh, he is mentioned in both Old and New Testaments. Uh, he is mentioned in Ezekiel 14, verse, verse 14, uh, along with, um, who is it? He's, he's mentioned there with Daniel and Noah. And, and the reference there is judgment is coming to Israel. And uh, the Lord said that, that uh, not, even, not even Job, Noah, and Daniel could deliver Israel. 
uh, all they would deliver is their own lives. And so they're, they're kind of highlighted there in Ezekiel 14. And James speaks about him um, in a sense of uh, the patience of Job. And another word for patience is endurance. And that's, that's as I see what Job went through. <laughs> yeah. uh, he basically endured, you know, so many different things. And, and we see just, uh, to me, when I think of Job, I think of a man of sublime faith. I mean, this guy, what, you know, when we will we'll read, uh, we'll, you know, we'll, we're going to go through chapter one tonight. And when you see what this guy endures and what he goes through, I mean, just incredible. Um, especially a, a, a person in that particular, you know, time frame in that period. He believes and speaks of creation seven different times, okay? So he's a creationist. Um, uh, he refers to Noah's flood uh, five different times. And I have the references if you would be interested. Uh, uh, speaking of creation, basically chapters 9 through chapter 34. Um, he, he, there's more references in Job about the cold, about the ice, and about the snow. And again, that makes it post-flood, doesn't it? Okay, because um, creation, you know, before the flood was a terrarium kind of effect that, the, remember, uh, we're told in the first chapter of Genesis there that a mist went up and watered the garden. Okay, so there was some kind of protective barrier around, you know, the, the, uh, the entire planet at that particular time. And that's why, you know, the... Um, um, the sun rays, the, what rays am I thinking about? UV. UV. Yes, the UV uh, is really, in a sense, what ages us. And so that's why we find uh, that uh, the planet and, and those on the planet were protected at that particular time. So when you got ice and snow and that sort of thing, weather like that, extreme weather, we're talking about post, uh, a post-flood. Uh, <clears throat> okay. Uh, and we find, we'll find that when we get into chapters 7, 37 and 38 toward the end of the book. Now, regarding science, the book of Job has more references to science than any other bi single biblical book. Uh, there's 15 different uh, scientific facts he brings out. He speaks about minerals. He speaks about various stones, uh, different metals. Uh, he speaks about the hydrologic cycle, okay, when you get the rain, and then you get condensation, and then you get evaporation, okay, that's what we call the hydrologic cycle. Uh, he speaks about meteorology, which is basically the science of winds. Um, also, too, he refers to geology. Now, the book basically is not a science book, uh, but it's interesting that whenever the Bible speaks about science, it's correct. Uh, and we see, you know, again, more science mentioned here uh, than basically, uh, you know, so many of the other books of the Bible. And uh, one of the things that we discover here about this guy, that even though he's an ancient man, he's brilliant. Um, could you match wits with Job and write a book like that? Okay. Uh, he's not some, he's not Cro-Magnon man. Uh, he's not a Neanderthal. Um, you know, when, when God created Adam and Eve, no doubt before the fall, they were even much more brilliant uh, you know, they say that uh, for some reason, you know, science says that we basically, um, you know, have very little capability compared to, you know, as they look at the brain and, and it's, uh, you know, it's, you know it's, it's full capability. What it's, you know, they say we basically use around 10% of our brain. And uh, they say, I think they said uh, uh, Einstein used like 12%, 11 or 12% of his brain. Uh, but can you imagine what it would be like in our glorified bodies? I mean, each one of us will be sort of like a walking, brilliant genius encyclopedia 
Um, you know, because again, we'll be, we'll, we'll be in our glorified body with glorified thinking, and we will think, it'll be, and we'll have the reference points of how we thought and some of the things that we thought in this life. Uh, because again, we, we live under the fall. Um, human nature is damaged because of the fall. And so we'll have that reference points of how we used to think, and now it's like all of a sudden uh, we were, you know, in this life, you know, thinking-wise, we were riding a moped. Uh, when our glorified body, we're going to be, we're going to be, you know, driving a Ford for, or a Ferrari, um, you know, because it's going to be such a comparison. Well, it probably won't even really be much of a comparison at all. Uh, the book makes several references to astronomy. It, it refers to the constellations, refers to different, you know, constellations or groupings, and then it uh, refers to individual naming individual stars. So more references to astronomy in Job than any other book in the Bible. And with that, let's pray, Lord, we, we, as we venture in, Lord, to this, this new book. Lord, you always have something for us. And Lord... Uh, we pray that the Holy Spirit, Lord, would be our teacher. Lord, we thank you that you have given us, Lord, redeemed, Lord, insights and, and understanding. It's so different, Lord, as we assess things, as we understand things, as we look at things from, Lord, what we used to be like or what the, how the world looks at things. And so, Father, I pray that, uh, Lord, as we uh, just again venture into this book, Lord, uh, we pray that you would give us insight that you would give us guidance. And, and, and Lord, uh, may our faith grow. As we look at this man, Job, an ancient man, and yet a man that uh, you spoke so well of, that he was the greatest man in all the East. And Lord, uh, Lord, we thank you, Lord, for your work within our hearts, within our lives. Lord, uh, even we in this dispensation, in this age, Lord, uh, we have more available to us than Job did to him. And yet he was a man of sublime and great faith. And Lord, we, we, as we go through our trials, Lord, uh, uh, I don't think any of us, and I don't, we, I don't know if there's anybody in history that's ever faced a trial like this man. And I pray that as we go through our little trials, that, that Father, we wouldn't just go through them, but we grow through them. Growing close to you, Lord, uh, deepening, Lord, in our faith and our relationship with you. Thank you for those that are here tonight. We pray that you bless us as it goes out by way of stream. Lord, um, so be glorified, we pray. We ask all these things. And Lord, we do want to mention Joyce tonight. Uh, Lord, may you reach out and, and touch her, Lord, by your hand. We just inter we intercede and ask you that you might intervene to touch her, to save her, to just work, Lord, we pray, in her life. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Uh, just gave, uh, I usually don't give my Wednesday night studies uh, a title, but uh, as I read this particular chapter and this second chapter, I wanted to uh, dub it the In the Valley of the Shadow, uh, taking a little excerpt there from, uh, from Psalm 23. You know that uh, when we're in the valley of the shadow, and we see that with Job here, um, we know that also too, like David said, the Lord is with us, his rod and his staff, they wonderfully comfort us. And so 
Um, we're going to see that here as we go this, through this particular book. Now, one of the things about this book is it gives us insights into human nature. Uh, spiritual warfare, there's an invisible war, and that's one of the things that we see in these first two chapters. They're very insightful. Uh, some of the commentators believe that these first two chapters, because they're so insightful of the spiritual realm, what's going on behind the curtain, behind the scenes, that Job, has, he's not aware of these things. He's not aware of the invisible war. He's not aware of the warfare and, and the mechanics of it and the gears of it, but he's caught up in it. Uh, and it's believed by some commentators that was maybe written later by Moses, uh, as perhaps someone was given insight and revelation to what was taking place, you know, in Job's life. Because, again, as we uh, come and see what's taking place and just, you know, unfolding in this man's life, he has no idea what's taking place in spiritual realms. And so we have an insight. We, we have the great benefit of an insi insight here as far as spiritual warfare and, and what takes place. And, and the fact that, uh, you know, as we're given these insights, that we're able to handle things much better, realizing it isn't just, you know, about the material realm. It isn't just about, you know, physically. Uh, there is, you know, there is a spiritual realm out there and it brings to bear, you know, uh, you know, the, 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 not only the, the Lord and all of his you know, goodness and his angels watching over us, also, too, there's a devil there. Uh, and he is always working to defile, to destroy, uh, murder and mayhem. He never, he, he never tires of that. Uh, he always waits. He's always looking for an opportunity. And we would not know this. We would be many people are victims of that spiritual realm and that warfare that goes on because they don't know the Lord. Without the Lord, how can, you can't, you, you know, you just think, you know, the devil is, you know, some caricature with the, and, you know, red leotards and he's got a, a little point on his tail and he walks around with a pitchfork and he's not real, uh, but he is real. He's real and he's powerful. Um, and, and look at the wreckage in our world today because of, you know, the adversary, the enemy. But without the scriptures and without the Holy Spirit and without discernment, we would be victim to those very same things that many people are victim to this world in this world today. And that's why it's important that we understand these things. Again, we get a window into the spiritual realm through Job, these first couple chapters of Job, like actually like nowhere else. Um, you were told some very important things here. And so uh, as we open uh, verse 1 here, <clears throat> we get an introduction of Job and basically uh, his character. Uh, there was a man in the land of us uh, whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and shunned evil. In other words, he resisted evil. Uh, doesn't mean, when it says he's blameless, doesn't mean he was sinless. It means basically there was nothing held against him, nothing known, uh, nothing lingering in his background. He was a man that walked with God, and, and, and as a result of making confession um, and giving his issues over to God, there was nothing there hanging in his background. To be upright basically means to be straight or to be level, and to fear the Lord means to have a deep respect for God. It doesn't mean you necessarily have this cowering kind of fear. Uh, but basically, you have a deep, abiding respect for the Lord and the ways of the Lord. Uh, that's why one of the things it says, I think it's in Psalm 36. I may be wrong about that. It's Psalm 30-something. Um, it says about the wicked, there is no fear of God before their eyes. Okay. Um, so again, to have that healthy respect 
Um, and, and, and again, respect for God's truth, re- respect for what he says, um, you know, realizing that, hey, if I do sin and I live in sin, I'm going to be dealt with. I'm going to be chastened. My life is going to be a mess. I'll be miserable. Uh, so the fear of the Lord is something, yes, we have as well. Uh, it's, we see it uh, as a continual reference in the Old Testament, okay? But it's also something that we have as, you know, as believers. And so uh, Job is noted for that. He feared the Lord. He shunned. He resisted evil. Now, verse 2 here, we basically get a picture of his family and of his wealth. And antiquity, uh, prosperity basically was, you know, you're a... Uh, uh, your prosperity basically was measured by your herds, you know, how many herds you had, how many, you know, uh, as far as the issue of, you know, whether you, you know, had uh, a big farm and you were, and, you know, you, you did animal husbandry or you were a farmer. Uh, that was basically the measurement of your basic prosperity. And he had seven sons and three daughters were born to him, and his possessions were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels. 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, donkeys, what it says 500 yoke of oxen, that means he has a thousand oxen, and a very large household, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. And so very large household meaning he had many different servants. And again here, when it refers to him uh, as basically the greatest man of the East, there's no exaggeration here. You know, God is basically highlighting this man's life, and he was selected. In a, sele- in a sense, he was selected for this specific trial. And, of course, as we read the, 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 the book of Job, we hope never, God never selects us for this kind of trial. Um, and, and, again, when you look at his wealth, you know, back in that particular day, uh, this was considered a spiritual barometer of where he stood, you know, with the Lord. It wasn't always true because people, you know, the, you know, the Bible speaks about, you know, Psalm 37, Psalm 73, um, you know, wicked individuals, you know, they were prosperous, they had much. Uh, but by and large, by many, it was considered, you know, a measurement of how spiritual you were and your relationship with the Lord, because in a sense, to, for someone to be prosperous and to have money and herds and all that sort of, they were blessed of the Lord. Whether they recognized that or not was another thing, but it, yes, it did, it did indicate that God, you know, wonderfully blessed people. I, th- I think there's, when you look at all the wealth in America today, uh, you know, whether a person is a believer or not, uh, God's given them that stewardship. He's given them that stewardship. They, you know, they will be held accountable, you know, for that. Uh, just like in a sense, you know, maybe we don't, you know, we don't have such a great stewardship, but nevertheless, we still are accountable, you know, for that, what we do with that and how we, how we use that, you know, for the kingdom. And um, so his sons would go and feast in their houses uh, each on his appointed day and would send and invite their three sisters to eat uh, and drink with them. Uh, so as kids here, they, they seem to love and enjoy being around one another. It se- what it seemed to be to me is a very close-knit family that, uh, you know, when they had any kind of celebration, a birthday party or whatever, you know, the, the feast was, you know, the celebration was, they would all get together, you know, as a family, not just, you know, their their you know, their friends and all that sort of thing. So uh, that's what I see there as a, a very close-knit family. Now, as we come to verse 5, <clears throat> excuse me, we get an insight here into, into Job's spiritual life. Um, you know, one of the things that we realize as we look at this man, he, he was a loving father, and he seriously cared about his kids, the spiritual condition of his children. And, and as the high priest, the patriarch of his family, 
um, he would he would intercede for them uh, with the sacrifices, just like in a sense, you know, today, you know, we don't have to go that particular route, but um, you know, prayer, you know, praying, praying for our kids, um, you know, praying for our grandkids, you know, that the Lord would just work in their lives, that they would, you know, you know, one of the things I think I think it is good for us to pray. Um, it, it may not it may not happen. I don't know. But uh, to pray that our kids would eclipse our faith. I think that's a good prayer. Lord, may, Lord, wherever I am with the Lord, let him go beyond me. And, uh, and I believe God honors, you know, he honors that kind of praying. Um, but this guy, Job, man, he was a loving dad. Um, he's, he cared about his kids. He, care, he cared about their spiritual life enough to make sure that he was going to, you know, just in case they sinned in any kind of way, um, that, uh, you know, by God's grace, that they would be, they would be aware of that and uh, they would be covered. And it says here, <clears throat> so it was that when the days of feasting had run their course, that Job would send and sanctify them. And he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God uh, in their hearts. Thus, Job did regularly. Or in other words, he did it on a continual basis. And again, it, it's, I think what it underscores here, this guy had, had a devotional life. Uh, he was praying on a continual, regular basis. And, and the thing that you see here, too, he believed in the biblical concept of sin and its consequences. It's, it, it's amazing today that's been rubbed out of the conscience of America. I mean, if you know somebody, ask them, just say, can you tell me, what do you think about sin? I know you don't believe in the Bible, and I'm not trying to, you know, put you under pressure here, but what, what, do you believe in sin? And I think, you know, people may have a belief in sin, but it's usually, you know, things like the guys who murdered somebody or somebody who is Hitler-esque, you know, kind of a thing. It's never, you know, it's never the person, never, it's never the man in the mirror, you know, kind of a thing. It's always some horrific, horrible thing. Uh, but, but the Bible clearly shows us, you know, the damage of sin. It's deceitful, the Bible says. But Job believed, he understood, you know, the consequences, that, that there is consequences to sin. Uh, and he didn't want that damaging and destroying his children. No doubt he saw it in the culture, like we see it in our culture. Um, and again, isn't, it, isn't our adversary um, so powerfully subtle that the very thing that wrecks so many lives, they don't even believe in it. They don't believe in sin. They don't believe in a devil. They don't believe in a hell, you know, kind of a thing. And there's a reality to these things. There's an absolute, utter reality that when someone leaves this life, they will stand before God Almighty, and they will give an account of their lives, and they will face a horrific eternity. And that's why it's important, you know, that uh, uh, we tell people about Jesus Christ. We, we tell them, and, um, you know, when God leads us into those kinds of conversations, you know, about heaven and about hell, uh, you know, people think, here's what people think, I don't believe in God, I don't believe in heaven, I don't believe in hell, so it doesn't exist, you know, okay, because I don't believe in it, it doesn't exist, and what a shock it will be. That doesn't stop God because someone doesn't believe in him. That, that, that doesn't close up the, you know, the, the portal of hell because 
If somebody doesn't believe in it, well, I can't go there because I don't believe in it. You know what I discovered? Um, and I think the Lord showed me this, that after everybody dies, everybody becomes a believer. They do. Everybody becomes a believer. Um, it's obviously too late for many people at that point. But as soon as people step into eternity, all of a sudden they believe. They believe everything that they've rejected. And uh, isn't it so much more wonderful to believe now? Because, you know, once, once a person crosses over, it's, 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 it's done. It, it's too late. <clears throat> it's appointed unto men to die once and then. Uh, the judgment. <clears throat> so we're, we're told here this, this whole devotional thing and, and worship and, and sanctifying his children is something that was a regular part uh, of Job's life. Now, we've, as we come to verse 6 here, this next section, it kind of pulls back the curtain, and, and it reveals here the invisible war. Here we see here the spiritual realm that we really simply, we cannot see this you know, with our eyes. And also, too, one of the things that it gives us an insight to is basically this thing that we call, because God is sovereign, this thing that we call, you know, the permissive will of God, why God allows certain things, why God permits certain things to take place, you know, in the world and in our particular society. And some of the things, you know, like this, as we look at this particular story, they may frighten us. They may frighten us. They may work. They may cause worry and concern. And, and regarding these issues, regarding what takes place and why it takes place and, you know, why it's happened to certain people, we have all kinds of questions. Uh, we have, we, 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 oftentimes we demand explanations. But it's kind of an interesting thing as we look at this particular story. Um, God doesn't give explanations, okay? Uh, God doesn't answer certain questions, uh, you know, really what it comes down to, I believe it's this. It comes down to faith. Am I going to trust God when I can't see things? It's easy, I, it's, it's, and really it isn't faith if we have all the explanation, if we have all the answers. It, it's really not, a, it's not an issue of faith. He called, like Job says, he will later say, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. I mean, that is incredible faith. That, that is awesome faith. Uh, and that's how, you know, when we go through life without explanations, without answers, without all the whys and wherefores, um, as we just continue to just keep our eyes focused upon him, that's what strengthens our faith. Uh, we walk by faith and not by sight, okay? And by sight, we want all the answers. We want, all the, we want everything to line up. We want, you know, we want all the, uh, the, the explanations. I'll tell you what, when you read the Bible for any length of time, you realize, you know what, there's a lot of mysteries, there's a lot of questions we can't answer. There's a lot of explanations we don't have. But we know this. There are things that go on behind the curtain, behind the scene. And we know this. God is sovereign. God is in control. God is good. He is good. And just as, as again, uh, uh, Romans 8.28, he will work all things to the good to those who know him, those who love him, those who are called according to his purpose. And we have to believe that because there's going to be things that, that will eventually touch our lives and the lives of our loved ones that we can't find an explanation for the whys, the wherefores, those kinds of things. Uh, just caught a, 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 a glimpse of a, a man, a doctor, who was being interviewed on the local news. 
Um, and, he, and he wrote a book you know, because he was, as a young doctor, just a brilliant young doctor, he was on a bicycle and somebody hit him uh, with their car. And uh, he basically, you know, he basically uh, had a spinal cord injury and he's been in a wheelchair, you know, for most of his life. And, uh, and I was just kind of thinking about that man. Here, here's this brilliant man with, you know, all the education, everything he went through. And, uh, and, I, and I would only imagine all the questions, you know, what he probably, and a lot of times when those kind of things happen to people, it takes years for them to kind of get out of the weeds um, and basically accept, you know, just accept, you know, their condition, you know, because when difficult things happen to us, it's always, why? You know, why, why is this happening to me? And especially, I think, for us, especially for us, uh, sometimes I think it might even be a little harder for us because we have, we know, and we have a God who declares that he loves us. So why? Why, why do these things happen? There's a lot of times, folks, we don't have answers for that. There's an answer. There is an answer, and God has that answer. He knows but he may not give us that answer. We may not get, you know what, I think there may be certain answers we will not get until we get to heaven. And so we have to be very careful about demanding, you know, explanations and and, and answers and and justifications of why this happened or uh, whatever the case may be. Again, uh, I think it always goes back to me for this issue of trusting God and believing in a God who loves us and has got a purpose and a plan for our life. Again, Johnny Erickson Tata, 17 years old, beautiful young gal, smart young lady, <laughs> just jump, jumps into Chesapeake Bay. And just that one dive just totally changed, you know, the rest of her life, the rest of her life. And, you know, just she was here a couple years ago and in uh, uh, Farmington. We went out. To, to see her, her and her husband and all that. And then they hear after that, she gets breast cancer. And it's like, ay ay ay. I mean, you know, just barrage after barrage after barrage. And, you know, we can look at these things from the wrong way. We, we can look at these things, you know, that, again, God, you're unkind. Uh, God, you're, you're mean. Um, you're, you're insensitive to us in our particular situation. And he's not. He is not. But again, that's oftentimes the normal human reaction, you know, to suffering and to pain. Um, but as we open this up in verse 6, we're told that, and again, we're looking behind the curtain here. We're, we're seeing in this spiritual realm. God's giving us some insight here. Now, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came among them. The, the, the sons of God here is Bene Elohim in the Hebrew. Uh, and basically, these are, these are angels is what they are. Uh, and so, um, I, uh, we would assume that the angels, you know, there comes a time where they have to report. They have to give their report, uh, you know, before the Lord as far as you know, what they're doing in, in, in that, that sort of thing. And the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? And so Satan answered the Lord and he said, from going to and fro the earth and from walking back and forth on it. In other words, he, he's like, he's on patrol, you know. 
Uh, he, he's, the, he's the Gestapo. He's always looking basically to tempt someone. He's always probing. He's always gathering victims in some kind of way. Because you know what? He's got nothing else to do. And, and his whole thing is to, in any way he can, to attack God or the things of God. And one of the ways that he does that he, is he attacks the creation. Uh, he attacks the things that God, has, that God loves and so he's, and, and he's always looking for some particular opportunity. And, you know, he, he has three basic approaches, you know, to you and I. Uh, first and foremost, he comes as a hissing serpent. We see that in the garden, don't we? Uh, he comes like a slithering. He comes subtly uh, to tempt us in some kind of way. Or else he may come as basically a roaring lion. Um, we see that perhaps... Um, in the third world, uh, attack upon, you know, God's people. Attack upon, for instance, uh, Satan came like a roaring lion after the Jews in, um, in, in you know, Nazi Europe uh, back in World War II. But he also comes, and, and maybe perhaps I think this might be his greatest approach, is he comes as an angel of light. Uh, he comes, you know, as spiritual... Uh, insight. He, he comes as a good angel. He, he comes uh, where it seems like, at least initially, to help people um, and to gain their confidence in some kind of way. So he comes, again, as this angel of light, but he's very deceptive. And he's very, very powerful. Um, I kind of think that um, as I consider perhaps the, the method of fishing, when somebody fishes, you know, when they try to catch a fish, they may, they may be messing with that fish, luring that fish. Uh, as a fisherman, you've got all kinds of different bait. Uh, you have all kinds of different lures. Uh, and you, you, the fish are down there. You know they're there. But it's getting that right lure to run it just sort of by them, hoping they will go for it. And, and, and I think Satan, in a sense, is like that. He's always probing. He's always, you know, C.S. Lewis said that, uh, in his book, The Screwtape Letters, um, that uh, these demons, that they hold dossiers on people, okay? And, and imagine when you think about it, uh, I don't know how old you are, but look how much you understand more so about human nature than you did when you were 10 years old. You, 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 under so, uh, you know, we don't understand completely, okay? Um, and I think we only truly understand about human nature when we come to know the Lord and we get really those spiritual insights about human nature. Uh, and, and as we do know things about our own human nature, they can be preventative. They can protect us in a certain kind of way. But imagine Satan, who has studied man for close to 7,000 years. Imagine how slick, how sharp, how brilliant, how deceitful, how clever he is. Uh, he... he he perhaps he knows different, he knows different personality types, okay? Uh, and again, he studies. They study, in a sense, human nature for the purpose of bringing them down. And that's why no matter how intelligent, no matter how brilliant a human being can be, they are no match for the adversary. They are no match. The brilliance that he has. Uh, and again, in our own ability, we're no match. It's sort of like it's sort of like the nasty old predator that pulls up in his car 
and he says, little girl, would you like some candy? And you've heard that expression probably, I'm sure, many times. That's what it's like. That's a comparison between human nature and the enemy. It's an adult against a, a, a little child kind of a thing. But again, what enables you and I is we've been given weaponry, okay? We've been given a gun, okay? Uh, we have been given that which, you know, armory and armament to protect ourselves. We have been given the wisdom of Scripture. And again, Jesus, you know, teaches us how to deal with this angel of light here. And again, Job, Job uh, does not have the insight. He's got faith. He's got great faith, but he doesn't have the insight that you and I have, you know, in this spiritual war. Now, as we come to verse 8, this scene uh, reveals to us that Job has no idea about this conversation taking place in heaven that was going to impact and change his life. And the thing here is, is we find the Lord is the initiator of it. This is not punishment of Job. There is, it, there is no, we find no fault in the man Job. That's why the Lord has to say, you know, giving us the, the, the spiritual profile of the man, that he's the greatest man of the East. So this isn't happening to Job because that's oftentimes what we think. Have you ever thought that about somebody when they're going through a trial? Well, they must be in sin. You know, they must have really something, you know, something in their life, something in their heart, you know, judging that person, criticizing that person, not we, because so oftentimes we don't know. And, well, oh, I'm sure they got some secret sin in their life or this wouldn't be going on. Not so. And that's why it's important we realize that. That's why the Bible says judge nothing before the time. Because we may look at somebody who's going through something, and they may, they may be going through that because God is refining, God is working in their life, and they may be much more spiritual than us. <laughs> so this is not punishment. The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? That there is none like him on the earth. So it was not just even on the earth, in the east, it was on the earth. A blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. Again, the fear of God, it's a, it's a holy, it's a healthy respect. And, and, and you know, the, the, the fear of God results in obedience. If there really is the fear of God in our life, it's going to result uh, in this whole matter of, uh, of obedience. And Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for nothing? You know, Satan has an interesting philosophy about human nature. And basically the philosophy is that people don't love him. They don't really love God. They just love all the things that God does. And that may be true. That, that, that may be true in some particular situations. Um, you know, because, you know, think about, you know, God gives us what? All, all things richly to enjoy. Uh, and, and so Satan has a certain philosophy um, which, in a sense, has certain truth in the life, particularly of the life of, gen of human nature generally. And basically what he's saying here, what he's going to say here, is Job is a mercenary. That, that's basically what, he's, what he is implying here, that Job is basically, he is serving you. Look at all you do for him, God. You, you've blessed him in every possible way. So what we're going to find out here is these blessings are going to be taken away. God's making a statement. 
God's going to prove his point. He goes on to say, you've made a hedge around him, around his household, around all that he has on every side. You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. Again, these things were all so very true. They were so absolutely true. But now stretch out your hand. Touch all that he has. And he will surely curse you to your face. And again, we, we want to reiterate, this is not happening because of some secret sin in Job's life. And again, if, if, if man is just, you know, if that's, you know, if that's just the heart of man, that we just, you know, give God lip service because of what he does for us or what he's given to us or that he feeds us, makes us no different than a dog, doesn't it? Just basically, and, and don't we see that in humanity? Just people living by the animal appetites kind of thing. So stretch out your hand and touch all that he has. And he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. And so Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. So again here, what we, one of the things that we find that Satan has to obtain specific permission here before he has access to the child of God. And aren't you glad about that? I don't think that's true of the unbeliever. I don't think that's true of the unbeliever. That's why Satan destroys so many unbelievers. What, what protection do they have? What, what protection does an unbeliever have? If he has any protection, it's only because of God's grace and God's mercy. But one of the things I often lament is when I see so many young people just dying, dying in their youth, dying in their teen years. How sad. But again, thank God that the enemy has to go and get specific permission to get access. And the other thing, too, God knows when you and I go through a trial whether we can handle it or not because his grace and his faith is available to us or he would not, as the perfect father, allow us to go through certain trials, would he? I mean, as a parent, as a parent, you love your children so intently that you want to protect them. But at the same time, too, you realize that they, as they grow, they have to have age-appropriate challenges in their life. Yeah, yeah, I can remember. <laughs> I can remember some of our kids, you know, that first day of going to school, standing out in front of the house. You know, there they are with their little backpack and their little lunch pan, you know, and, and it's, like, you know, it's like, oh, do I really have to send them off, you know, kind of a thing. But you know, you know that that the trial that they have to face there going off to, to school with, you know, uh, and leaving the protection of your home, that that's an age-appropriate challenge for their life. And isn't our Father the perfect Father? 
So as he would allow this to come into Job's life, just as if he allows and when he allows trials to come in our life, they're appropriate. And God's going to work a purpose in it. You know, the, 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 the interesting thing is, is in order to get strong, you have to tear your muscles down. You, you, when you, when you, just like when you work out, or you've had a, maybe you've had a, um, a long day of digging ditches, and you just go home and you just basically collapse. But the fact that you went home and you rested your body and you nourished your body, you know what? The next time you do that, you're a little bit stronger. And, and when you and I face, you know, different adversity and trials, there, there's a strengthening also, too, that comes in to basically the fiber of your faith. And even though we don't like to be tested, even though we don't like trials, these are things that God is using within our lives to, to just pour, you know, a greater measure of faith and strength, you know, into our hearts and into our lives. And that's what we're, that's actually happening here to Job. <clears throat> and so verse 12 here. Oh, we read verse 12. I'm sorry. Now, verse 13 um, now, here's basically the first assault against Job, against his financial security and his family. Now, we're back on earth, okay? The conversation between the Lord and the adversary, has this has been settled. Now, we're back on earth, and we're going to watch this assault, you know, take place against, uh, against Job. And, and what is interesting to me, it's such a relentless series. Any one of these would be a knockout punch for anybody. And it's just a relentless series, you know, of these, you know, punches in a sense, these knockout punches against this man, against his faith. Now, there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, and a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them. And when the Sabaeans raided them and took them away, indeed, they have killed the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone am escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, another also came and said, "Fire! the fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone am escaped to tell. Now, all this happens with, in a, with sort of a, a, a force and dizzying kind of speed. There's a rapidity that takes place with each one of these blows. It's not like it happened this month and then it happened next month. This is all happening. Imagine all this happening in one particular day. You know, 90% of all of his employees, his servants, gone. 100% of his flocks are basically wiped out in one particular day. And the thing that we have to understand is that the adversary is behind this, okay? We can't blame it on God. And we have to be able to differentiate between those two, that the adversary, you know, he is Satan, he is a murderer, he's a liar, he's a destroyer, okay? We can't blame this on the Lord. God may be allowing it, but he's not doing it. And we have to understand that. And while he is still speaking, another also came and said, the Chaldeans uh, came and uh, uh, the Chaldeans formed three bands and raided the camels and took them away. Yes, 
and killed the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone am escaped to tell you. And notice this, while he was still speaking, another, uh, another also came and said, your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their older brother's house. And suddenly a great wind came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house. And it fell on the young people. And they are dead. And I alone am escaped to tell you. So imagine that, all ten of your children. I mean, the loss of one child can be devastating. I, I've known people that can't get over that. Because it is a hard thing. I remember when uh, I was just a little guy. I, I've never forgotten it. I've never forgotten it because it, it is emblazed on my memory. Uh, February, I think it was the last day of February, 1954. And uh, I was just about to turn five years old. And um, my next door neighbor, which was my cousin, Eddie, uh, he and uh, his sister, Rita, it was a beautiful spring day in, in Philadelphia, even though it was February. And uh, he said, and we lived, we, we lived a few blocks. We lived like three blocks from the Delaware River. And the river was basically a mile wide. We used to have freighters, big freighters go, ocean running freighters go up the river because they were going up to steel mills and, uh, you know, up northern part of Pennsylvania and so forth. And, and uh, Eddie says, I'm, hey, we're going down to, uh, I'm going up my kayak. You want to come down? Uh, and so I remember just watching them, and, and, and they both got out into the kayak, and, and uh, um, my, my cousin Rita, she stood up, and they both went over. And the waters were so cold, they instantly went into shock. And, um, and you know, as, as, I, as I think about that, and I remember, I remember my Aunt Marge, my Uncle Butts, that was, that was Eddie and Rita's father, um, my mom, my dad, my grandma, we all lived like three houses. We all lived together like that. And I can remember the weeping. And so much so that, that that picture of watching that as a young boy, it has never left my memory. I have had it for all these years. And so you can imagine what it must be like for this man, Job, that this day you know, for him was a day of infamy, that you know he's totally wiped out. That's enough to, to make anybody you know, uh, go into the loony bin, you know, when they lose everything. Sometimes people will commit suicide when they lose all their wealth. Uh, but to lose all your children, to be so devastated, you know, in that kind of a way, many of us cannot even imagine the depths, you know, of, the, of this kind of a trial, you know, taking place in our life. And we see here uh, <clears throat> in verse 20, uh, Job's uh, response and, and reaction uh, to all of this. And Job arose, hearing this news. He tore his robe and he shaved his head. Now these were, these were marks of, when you tore your robe, it was to speak of basically your heart. Your heart was absolutely torn. Um, to shave your head was basically utter humiliation. Okay, And, um, and he fell to the ground and he worshipped. Man. You ever think about what your first reaction would be or what our first reaction would be to, to any kind of a tragic situation or circumstance, much, obviously much less than, than this.
Can you imagine your reaction? How devastating something that, like that would be. But instead of cursing, I, that's what I think a lot of people would do. A lot of people would scream. They would wail. You know, they would curse. Some people just, you know, something like that happened. You can understand if they just collapsed on, on the spot. or Maybe had a heart attack. Or, or somebody would say, I have no reason to live any further. I'm going to take my life. But again, when you look at this guy, oh boy. <laughs> when you look at this guy, he just bows his head and worships. Man, what faith. What incredible faith. He's, he's looking to heaven. He, he's worshiping. And look what he says. Naked I came from my mother's womb. And naked I shall return there. The Lord gave. And the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Again, this is, this is such incredible faith and trust and reliance you know, on God. I was thinking about it today, you know, relative to, you know, Job's response and reaction here. Now, we all know that God is a generous, giving God. Don't we love that about him? Don't, don't we love that about him? But there's also, too, a hidden doctrine here that we don't see. And that the Lord takes away. And how, will, how would we respond if there was something that we really treasure? Something that's such a vital part, you know, of our life. I think, we need, I think as we, we ponder this right now, I think we need to think about that. Because we love our God when He gives. And He's always giving. He's always giving. But what about if he would call us into this kind of circumstance or situation where something has to be, he's going to take something away? We have to consider that. We have to think about that. But you know, the funny thing is, is when you go through life, you realize it's a series of losing things. And, you know, we're always gaining things, aren't we? We're always accumulating things. Um, you know, those guys, American pickers. I mean, they go around the country. They must have a ball. They must absolutely, and they do. They look like they thoroughly enjoy looking through everybody's junk, you know, and just trying to find that little treasure, you know, kind of a thing. And God has blessed us in so many ways. But we have to think. Because eventually, eventually we lose things. We may lose our health. We're going to lose our health. It's just a matter of time. I've known a pastor friend of mine because of diabetes lost his eyesight. Sometimes certain things happen and somebody loses 
got reputation. We can lose a marriage. We can lose the love of a spouse or the love and respect of our children. We can lose a job that we've held for a long time and the security that goes along with that. And we find that we get to a certain point in life that there's going to be certain losses. But to know this, God is faithful. I wonder sometimes if some of the things that we do lose, if God may be saying that in it, I want to replace that. I want to fill that void. Because we, we tend to, in our humanity, we, we tend to put things, you know, we, we tend to look at things in our life that, you know, I just I just so need that. I, I need to have that in my life. And we may have certain things in our life for a long period of time. But what about if God designates that he wants to take that? Because he wants to fill that area of our lives with himself with his presence. And, he, and, and when something is taken from our life, it's never because of, you know, that we, we, we need to be careful that we don't think that God is mean or that God doesn't understand. And if he allows you and I to go through any, and again, he won't give us, the Bible says, he won't give us more than we can bear. He's not going to give us a trial like Job because he knows whether we could bear that up or not. But he only allows us to go through things of that nature that he might fill those areas of our lives. And I think that we really begin to grapple and wrestle and understand this more as we get older, as we get weaker, we can't hold on to the things. We can't, you know, we might have to lose our, lose our house and, you know, go into an apartment or whatever the case may be. Or I've known people, they get to a certain age and they can't drive anymore. And I tell you what, you lose that freedom. Oh, man. You know, losing that freedom to be able to drive. And, and so, you know, you get to a certain point in life, there, there, there can be a lot of these different things that we have to just sort of, we have to let go of. You know, I've come to realize that the things that God brings into our life, they're kind of going through our life. We're, we're holding on to them for a little while, and then they're gone. The most important thing that we see here to Job, as important as all these other things were, was his relationship with the Lord. He bows down and he worships. He said, I came into this world with nothing. <laughs> and I'm going to, I came in with nothing, and I'm going to leave with nothing. The Lord has given, the Lord has blessed, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And in this, Job did not sin nor charge God with wrong. Man, what a guy, huh? What, what incredible faith. Lord, 
as we read about what took place in this godly man's life, we know that we'll never be called to go through a trial of this particular nature. And yet at the same time, too, Lord, we know that there will be things that we have to let go of. There will be loved ones that we lose. There will be change and transition in our lives. And we pray that like this man, that when we come to that crossroads and to those different times, that, Lord, we will respond in that very same way. Lord, to bow down and to worship and to not charge you with folly, to not charge you with foolishness, and to realize, Lord, I imagine when Paul lost his freedom and he's put into that maritime prison in Rome, Lord, uh, only you know what he went through initially and, and what he thought as his freedom left, that he thought perhaps his ministry will be totally derailed. But actually, Lord, no doubt as Paul was in the darkness of that prison cell with perhaps a candle, and he's beginning to write, Lord, uh, you've, you've given him such incredible insight to pass on to, you, to us. And Lord, so we thank you for that. And Lord, we thank you for your grace in our life. We're thankful for the fact that you'll not give us more than we can bear. We're thankful to know that you are good and to know because of the cross, Lord, that you, that you love us so dearly. So help us, Lord, we pray. Lord, uh, no matter what circumstance may be in our lives, Lord, that we would be worshipers like Job, grateful, thankful, Thankful just to know you, Lord, not just for all the wonderful things that we have, but just to be thankful to know you, to experience you, Lord, to walk with you. So I pray, Father, you'd help us to do that this week. We ask it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Shall we rise?